Welcome back everybody. You are listening to Sleep for Performance Radio, episode 4, with Georgia Roman from the AIS and Central Queensland University. Welcome back everybody, episode 4. Uh, first of all, I may apologise for not being uh, very active on social media and uh, with the podcast releases either. It's been a crazy... <laughs> Six to eight weeks, I've been traveling a lot. I've been to Ayers Rock for a conference, the Working Time Society, been in Melbourne, back to Perth, then to Germany, to Essen, to go to the European uh, sports conference there. And then I went home to Ireland for a few days. And then I came home, and as I commenced my final write-up of my PhD, which I'm in the midst of now, I'm also managing a home kitchen renovation. So. Getting good sleep from me hasn't been so key lately and been quite frustrating. And plus trying to do a few work projects as well. So I do apologize, but the good news is uh, back on track this week and got a number of podcasts pre-recorded in the bank, ready to release. And I'm gonna try and get one out every sort of two to three weeks and um, get the intensity and increase the volume of of these. Speaking of volume, please excuse the uh, sound issues the last few weeks as well. Still working on uh, editing on podcasts it's not my forte so if you've got any tips or suggestions feel free to send them through as well all right so we've got georgia on the podcast today and georgia is a very interesting um researcher i met georgia a number of times previous but at this podcast was recorded at the working time society which is predominantly kind of a shift work um sleep and performance type um conference and this year was held at ears rock or uluru which was an amazing conference, probably the best conference I've ever been to. Uh, only had about 100 people, excellent uh, conference and put together very well by Drew Dawson and colleagues there that helped out. There's too many people to name that helped out on that conference, but it was excellent and some great even activities as well. I met some really good people there as well who were really interested in doing uh, some good applied research. So um, yeah, this, this was, it's got a little background noise because people were mulling around in the morning having a chat having coffee and um, probably a sign of a good conference really <laughs> that people are up and about early and chatting to one another so yeah uh, this this one should be pretty interesting Georgia does a lot of research with the athletes at the Australian Institute of Sport in particular she looks at jet lag and adaptation also some stuff around compression gear as well and how does compression gear help um, so this could this is going to be a very interesting podcast if this is your first time listening to Sleep for Performance, thank you very much for tuning in. I hope you get something out of this podcast today. And if you come back from some of the other podcasts, thanks very much for coming back. Really appreciate the support on the podcast. Um, so far, this podcast has been well received. Downloads are increasing with every episode. But more importantly, I'm having I'm having a lot of fun doing this and, and meeting some really interesting people. And um, the podcast is a great platform for me to, to have a chat with these great guys. Um, don't forget, um, you can follow Sleep for Performance on Twitter, at Sleep for Perform, the Sleep for Performance Facebook page. All the links will be in the show notes. And again, if you have any feedback or any suggestions for guests or editing tips or ways to make the podcast better, just let me know. All right, I've rambled on too much. Uh, here is Georgia. very early. <laughs> I've been waking at like 5, 
five. Five o'clock in the oh, morning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so it's time. Yeah, we'll just get that mic right up into your mouth. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah. even better. Yeah. So don't 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 be afraid to to get up there. I let it all loose out. I just want to do a bit of a sound. Okay. <sighs> so somebody in the background making noise. Of the other room, anyone's in? The problem is people are gonna be running out of every rooms. Yeah. All right. Georgia, welcome to Sleep for Performance Radio. Thanks for having me. So, this quiz last night, what happened? <laughs> a lot of um, cheering, a lot of team building. Um, yeah, so we had a quiz night at the Working Time Society um, conference here in Uluru. And um, yeah, everyone got very competitive. There was a lot of strategy in team building, so yeah. My team came third. I just want to uh, stop this now here for a moment and just know for the record that our team, which is a highly international team of people from Sweden and Germany, we were tied with this team that George is on. But then I think there was some shenanigans went on and we came like fourth last (laughs) in the last in the last round, which was focused on sleep research. We did horribly wrong. Are horribly bad and got, hor- got all the answers horribly wrong. They were difficult questions. I think the people who were involved in those questions didn't even get the questions right. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think some people who probably, on some of the questions they were asked who who wrote this paper, I think some of the people who wrote the paper didn't even know they wrote the paper. <laughs> <laughs> so Georgia, um, where, where about are you from in Australia? Um, I'm from Perth. And two years ago, or just over two years ago, moved to Canberra to start a PhD at the Australian Institute of Sport. So right from the West Coast to the East Coast? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, you did your undergrad and honours at University of Western Australia as well? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So undergrad in um, exercise and health. Um, and then my honours was looking at sleep in athletes, looking at the difference between um, training and competition in netball athletes. Okay. And so what's netball for people who might might not be familiar with netball? Because I wasn't familiar with netball until I came here. <laughs> Whenever people ask me this, I just say, look up netball on YouTube because it's so hard to explain. But um, I would say it's a modified version of basketball. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of rule differences. So things like you can't bounce the ball, you can't um, run with the ball. There's no backboard on the hoop. Um, players are limited to different uh, sections of the court depending on what position they're playing um, there's a lot of rule differences but I think the best way to do it is have a look at netball Google Australia versus New Zealand netball right, I, was, I have known nothing about netball and I was involved in uh, sleep disorder, well not sleep disorder but electronic device study in the laboratory with Madison Jones yeah. and I was helping her out and we were setting up the netball players and they were sitting down and they were all really young like between 17 and 20 yeah. And so they were sitting down in the chair and I was putting all the electrodes on her head and then they stood up and they're like six foot four and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I felt so insecure. <laughs> I, I played netball and um, people would ask me what positions I played. I played centre court because I'm quite short and most of the time people were like, you're not that short, but for netball, I'm yeah. short. Yeah, I was just going to say, you're not really that short for like normal population. What are you, like five nine? Five eight. Uh, I'm not sure. 167 centimeters. Something like that. Okay, somewhere around there. And but it's not that short. But yeah, mm. uh, netball. I would feel like <laughs> feel really bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, 
So you moved from Perth to Canberra to do your PhD. What's in Canberra? Why in Canberra? Why did you go? Um, so I originally wanted to do a postgrad position at the Australian Institute of Sport, which is a one-year position working in physiology. Yeah. Um, and so I interviewed for that, and at the time they had a sleep in athletes um, PhD opportunity coming up. So I applied for that as well, and um, it was really good timing that that position opened up because my honours had been in sleep, and so I thought, why not? Um, and. So now I'm looking at challenges to sleep in elite athletes broadly, um, but my research has been in um, a little bit of sleep extension, but through napping, yep. um, a sleep dose study, and um, also uh, jet lag and travel fatigue. Okay, so we got very, very similar research interests. Yeah. 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 And so when you do a PhD at the Australian Institute of Sport, which is kind of similar to like a, an American Olympic Training Centre or one of these... It's quite um, it's quite kind of a prestigious um, institute to be involved with. Is there a university that partners with you in that, or is it just all through the Institute of Sport? Yeah, so I'm through Central Queensland University, which uh, their main campus is in Rockhampton, but they have campuses all over Australia. Yep. And my campus is Adelaide, where they have the Appleton Institute, where there's a sleep lab. So this gets quite confusing, because yep. it's Central Queensland University, which is a state in the northeast of Australia, but your lab or your kind of home is under the the guys at the Appleton in Adelaide, which is in South Australia. Yes. So that's like saying, like, I don't know, the University of Florida, which is based in Washington. It's just kind of... Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> based in Canberra, through Adelaide, at Central Queensland University. But you're from Western Australia. And from Perth, yeah. Well-travelled. <laughs> working in the recovery I work in recovery yeah um, so we do shifts in the recovery center and um, that's the time we, that we get to spend with the athletes and, yeah um, we work on them with hydrotherapy compression travel strategies sleep um, relaxation so um, the time that we get with the athletes during the day or during the evening when they come into the recovery center is really important and then yeah fitting in everything else around around that, yeah. and I think it's important as well when you're talking to athletes even if it's not about a specific kind of recovery issue that you've got to be spending time with them to build a rapport so when they do come back they do trust you they are a friendly face so even if you're talking about their Definitely. cat the dog the boyfriend the girlfriend whatever it might be you got to establish that connectivity with those guys or those girls too you know, for, for them to come and trust you. Because yeah. I think sometimes with recovery, particularly with sleep, it's quite a personal thing. And if you're like in a sleep lab watching people sleep, it's quite quite weird. Yeah. <laughs> or if you're getting data from people sleeping, it's it's quite a personal, weird thing, I think, sometimes. And we, we, we sometimes forget how kind of intrusive it may be or be perceived to be intrusive, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And even... Um in recovery they can be coming in after competition they could have had a good a good result they could have had a bad result and so you've kind of got to gauge what they want to yeah. talk about or not talk about and yeah so yeah you're right building the relationships yeah we had the western force in our sleep lab a few years ago and um you know that we got the, the full polysomnography level one set up the gold standard and uh the guys were like so you're gonna be watching me all night and i was like yeah from that control room and you're gonna be awake yeah 
that's creepy. I was like, you're telling me. <laughs> Don't worry, at one point on Instagram, I said. <laughs> so, Georgia, at the moment, um, with this exciting PhD you have at the AIS, with this great group of athletes, you know, working towards this kind of national goal of improving sport in Australia, what kind of studies have you designed or maybe even haven't developed now as part of your PhD? Can you give us a kind of a brief overview, maybe three or four studies that you're doing at the moment? Yep, so um, once my first study was looking at um, napping to supplement nighttime sleep. So first we wanted to look at um, if we give athletes nine hours time in bed at night versus eight hours in bed at night and a one hour nap and versus seven hours time in bed and a two hour nap, um, do they get the same amount of sleep or sleep duration um, when that's all added together? Um, and then we will look at staging later in the, uh, when that data is analysed as well. Um, and then we wanted to look at performance after waking up from a nap. So we had the opportunity to do some physical performance testing, um, a 10 metre sprint and a 505 agility test and um, some cognitive testing with uh, a psychomotor vigilance task, which is basically a reaction time task um, and some perceptual measures around that. And um, so we did testing at 30, 60, 90 and 120 minutes after waking from a nap um, and looked at performance. So we weren't look specifically looking at sleep inertia because um, we couldn't test on different days at different times, but a, a brief or a, a basic look at some performance after waking up from a nap. Um, the next study was a sleep dose study. So we looked at nine hours in bed versus five hours in bed over three consecutive nights. Um, and hopefully my next study will be a jet lag study looking at light exposure and avoidance schedules to um, advance or delay the circadian rhythm after travel. Um, and so looking at in the field does light exposure and avoidance work to help athletes adjust to a new time zone when they travel overseas. And it's really important for athletes here in Australia because when most athletes have to travel, it's going to be a big distance, you know. Even just to get out of the country, it's going to be a five-hour flight minimum for, for most people in most cities. So yeah. it's very relevant for here in Australia. Yeah, definitely. And even the even if you're not crossing time zones and you don't need to worry about jet lag per se, you're still getting travel fatigue from a long-haul flight as well. So hopefully we can build that into um, a study as well. Yeah. I think... Um, Here's a question for you. What, how would you classify or how would you define the difference between travel fatigue and jet lag? Okay, so travel fatigue comes with um, anything to do with the flight. So if you're um, on a plane, you're in hypoxic air, so a low oxygen concentration, you're um, in cramped conditions, you may not be able to sleep very well. And um, if you're on a long haul flight, you may experience sleep loss because you can't sleep overnight maybe. Um, even the stress of travel, so peop some people get anxious yep. about going on a flight and stress about it. Um, you may lose sleep before you go on a flight and afterwards, so basically any fatigue that comes with travel in general. And then jet lag is when you cross time zones and your body clock or your circadian processes are not in line with a new time zone. Um, so the, the body clock is um, on a about a 24 hour cycle and when you stay in one place your body adjusts to light and dark so that certain processes happen at certain times um, and that's if you're working a normal night day yeah, yeah. schedule yeah. Um, and then 
when you cross into a new time zone, those circadian processes in your body clock are out of sync with the time zone. So um, you will potentially feel like you, uh, it's daytime and you need to be awake throughout the night and you will potentially need to sleep or want to sleep during the daytime in a new time zone. So um, when working with athletes, it's really important to adjust them to the new time zone really quickly or as quickly as possible so that they can perform at the right times um, and reduce the amount of sleep that they lose through travel as well. And so this is relevant for even business people traveling for meetings, Definitely. people on holidays, maybe go to Vegas, want to gamble. So yeah. they don't want to be jet lagged, make wrong decisions. And then if you add alcohol into that, it's going to make it worse. Yeah. So it's, this is highly relevant for anybody. It's not just athletes. So yeah, that's the definitely. cool thing about your study is that as you're talking, I'm thinking all the things that could drop out for everybody else and all these little tips and tricks or ways to mitigate or minimize, you know, jet lag yeah, uh, broadly. Yeah, definitely. And you, in, um, <coughs> whenever you travel, whatever you're doing, you want to be experiencing it. You want to be your best um, and a best cognition, alertness. Um, so you want to also be able to fit your own training in. And yeah, so anyone can use the strategies. Yeah. So what do you do, Georgia, at the moment at, um, for minimising jet lag for yourself personally? Or what would you say to athletes? What, what's the kind of one or two things you would say to them to do? Uh, so we do give out um, light exposure and avoidance schedules. And they're, um, they're based around... Uh, the travel that the athletes are undertaking and also um, around their usual wake-up time. So um, there's, in the Sokodian process, there's a point in the night time where your body temperature is at its lowest and around, if you expose yourself to light around, at certain times around this body temperature minimum, um, it will help push your circadian rhythm one way or the other. And so we look at, um, we estimate that body temperature minimum with wake time, normal wake time. And then we um, gauge where we expose or um, avoid light and um, with the hope to push the body clock uh, to the quickest uh, way, whether it's advancing or delaying the body clock to help them yeah. adjust as quickly as possible. Um, but there's not much empirical evidence in the field to suggest that this works. So that's what I want to do with one of my studies is actually test whether it's working for them because it's all laboratory based and um, it's not going to hinder them when they are traveling. Um, but we want to see if it actually is really working as well. Perfect. And then other travel strategies like sleeping as much as possible when you're on a flight. Um, because you generally don't sleep well on a flight. You want to get as much sleep as possible. Um, getting comfortable on a flight using eye masks, noise cancelling headphones, um, little things that you can do to help get yourself as comfortable as possible and minimise the fatigue that you get from um, jet lag as well. Also wearing compression during a flight, compression socks, um, to help reduce the risk of deep vein thrombosis and um, so there's a few things that you can do. So when you talk about compression on planes, here's something I've been doing and I can't find any evidence of it. Um, but when I travel long haul, I wear the compression gear, 
in terms of like socks because I get too warm and like the full length like leg things mm-hmm. um, like the skins or the two by you leggings whatever you want to call them how do you pronounce it is it two times you two x you two times you I don't know I just call it those things <laughs> but anyway what I've been doing on flights is I'll bring like um, like a pair of shorts and t-shirt and like a change in the bathroom it's a bit weird and then I'll go down to the back of the plane where there's space on like an A380 and I'll do push-ups lunges squats and I'll do like 10 of those and I might do 10 rounds of them do you know any athletes that may do this with other people because I love doing it especially when I'm awake because then I just get up out of a chair I get moving and I feel heaps better when I land for doing it the cabin crew look at me like I'm some sort of lunatic <laughs> but I don't really care anymore well, no. Have you seen anybody or heard of me do this? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it's a great thing to do. And we actually recommend that the athletes get up, if they're awake during a flight, um, they get up and do something, whether it's walking up and down the plane, um, doing things like calf raises, lunges, um, things that you can do at the back of the plane every one or two, one to two hours. Um, and, yeah, so sleep is the priority on the flight. Yep. But if you can get up and move around on the flight, that's going to be really good as well. So... Yeah. Oh yeah. Let me let me right be, let me let me be clear. I don't like set my alarm to wake up every hour. It's if I'm awake, I'll get up and do that sort of maybe every half an hour, an hour. Yeah, that's a really um, good thing to yeah. do. Yeah, I've been trying to do it at home as well when I've been working. But you know, sometimes when you're in a kind of a flow of writing or analysing stuff, you forget and two or three hours go away. But I try to like get up, you know, every sort of like half hour to an hour and do some push-ups and lunges at home just yeah. to get the blood flowing. And um, yeah, stops yeah. me stops me putting on the heater as well, so it keeps me nice and warm. <laughs> so you could save money. Anybody out there is want to save money? push-ups and lunges will save you money keep you warm (laughs) going back to the compression thing as well um we recommend that the athletes wear only compression socks um and the reason being if you wear compression tights or long sleeve compression tops on a flight um you're not getting compression from the ex right from the end of your extremities upwards Mm. and so if you're wearing um a pair of tights say with no compression socks Um, you're going to get compression from your ankle upwards but your feet may swell as well Mm -hmm. so um, yeah when traveling we say only socks which is a cheaper option as well for people yeah yeah so medical grade compression socks are the best way to go Um, but any commercial um, socks that you can get and so what's medical grade socks would you buy them in a chemist pharmacy um, you can order them online. I can't think of the... That's okay. We'll put a link into the show notes for maybe where somebody can go to get medical grade because I didn't even know that. I've been just wearing like a... I think it's a Adidas compression sock up to my knee. Mm-hmm. I got one of those and then I got another set of the two times you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I pronounced it right as well. And I, I bring those with me when I travel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have to look at them. Yeah, well, we can put a link in the show notes. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, coming back to your first study, Georgia, because I think a lot of people are very interested about the benefits of napping. Um, what did you find so far with that, about having a nap in the day and in the performance afterwards? Can you give us a bit of an idea of what, what you found or didn't find? Yeah, so um, we found that the athletes um, that participated did nap during their... Um, daytime nap opportunities so they had a one hour nap opportunity or a two hour nap opportunity in the daytime and um, they slept for most of that time Um, they also when they woke up we asked them how long they thought they had slept for and they all seemed to underestimate 
Um, yeah, that noise in the background is we were at the shift work conference in Ayers Rock in the middle of Australia, and there's a poster session getting set up behind us. But there's one guy, I think he's trying to make sound effects for a radio show with a poster. If he rattles it one more time, it'll be his five, 500 time to rattle it. <laughs> Just hang it up. Oh, he's done it. Awesome. I won't mention his name, you know who you are. So, <laughs> um, what were we talking about? Napping. Uh, napping. Oh, here, here is my other yeah. question, yeah. Because on road safety industry and so on, people recommend about consuming caffeine before the nap, which a lot of people don't kind of think. They think that a coffee will wake you up. But the pharmacokinetics of caffeine means that the coffee won't kick in between 30 to 90 minutes. That's kind of the range, but the average is about 60. Mm-hmm. So recommendations of consuming coffee before the nap, then when you wake up from a half an hour, the caffeine should be peaking. Hence, it will help you get out of sleep inertia or get out of that grogginess feeling. Did you look at that in your study? Have you got any thoughts on that? Did you? I didn't specifically look at it in this study, um, but uh, I think my thoughts on that are if you're going to do something like that, you need to be able to fall asleep quickly when you're going to have a nap. So um, falling asleep within five to ten minutes um, is crucial so that you're not um, having your caffeine laying in bed for 30 minutes finally falling asleep and then the caffeine's kicking in so yeah yeah if you fall asleep quickly during a nap then i think that's a really good idea yeah and it depends how people respond to caffeine because i know some people can consume caffeine go to bed and fall asleep at night mm-hmm. others then if they have it within four or five six hours of going to bed you know because caffeine has got a full life of about eight hours so people consume it in that eight hour window so if someone goes to bed at 11 and they consume it like you know two or three in the afternoon they may still be awake at 11 but this is the tail end of it coming out you know sort of yeah definitely very individual yeah yeah so that's that's really cool so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this jet lag thing that you're doing because i think there's broad implications for business industry general population anybody that kind of you know wants to look at it so it's really cool and the napping as well is really cool for amateur athletes and elite athletes so so um <coughs> Obviously, these have got great, like, sort of benefits or spillover and, and, you know, implications as well. So people might think, Georgia, that, you know, your PhD is like living the dream, even though it's really busy. What what difficulties have you encountered dealing with these elite high-level athletes? And to give people probably perspective on what goes on or um, some insight, these guys range, and guys and girls, range from nearly 16 maybe even younger sometimes, all the way up to nearly 40 in some sports. So it's quite a spread and different maturity. So you're dealing with like nearly children to adolescents. So like, you know, it's just, it's just a widespread. So what kind of difficulties have you had? Um, I would say um, the main difficulty in terms of PhD is um, getting participants um, for intervention studies. So um, in sleep research, uh, a couple of years ago, a lot of the research was very descriptive of sleep, um, just describing how athletes sleep when they sleep. And so um, to advance the research, we need to start looking at interventions. And with athletes and coaches, it's really important that they um, get their schedules right, their training right. And so when you are going to uh, coaches and athletes and want to change what they're doing and put an intervention in, um, it can sometimes be I guess daunting for them and um, difficult to do because they have a system in place and yeah. um, so 
obviously coaches are always looking for um, for new um, edge things that are going to give an edge in competition and um, I wouldn't say they're stuck in the ways or anything like that but um, they also have to make sure that they're um, doing the right thing for the athletes and so um, yeah it's whenever there's an intervention involved it's hard yeah. to get uh, elite participants but I think that's the same like for working in industry as well if you have any sort of scientific type of role you're in a health safety environment or you know, you don't want these technical roles like a hygienist as well and you're trying to make changes. It can be, it can be quite difficult to, because the science can be complex for some people and then even if they do get the science, making a change can be difficult. And so it's really hard. And, and you know, but I think uh, one of the points that you said is getting the coaches involved is a key key part of any of these studies or any of these interventions because if we don't have sort of that top management support, we're not going to get anywhere. But when you were talking about kind of, you know... Um, the status quo two things I think about is swimming and boxing mm-hmm. and the reason I think about them is because you got these very young athletes getting up at like half four in the morning to go swimming because that's the culture of swimming because which probably originated in um, public swimming pools when it was the only time they could get availability mm-hmm. and then these guys then go to you know university during the day then they swim again in the evening they must be chronically sleep deprived and similarly with boxing the Rocky movie <laughs> Mm-hmm. has driven people to get out of bed at half four in the morning, drink raw eggs and run down the street and try to find a butcher shop to punch the meat. So, you know, and I, I just don't get it. But then they're in the gym at night and I've had this conversation with a lot of combat athletes. You know, when's your fight? Saturday, nine o'clock at night. Well, why are you getting up at half four in the morning to train? Mm-hmm. Why not replicate those conditions? Why not train to optimise in the days prior, the weeks prior, to optimise yourself for that? Yeah. Are you a morning person type? Are you an evening person type? If you're morning, sh- try to shift more towards evening. I just don't get people replicating training at times when you're not going to be doing it. I just, I, I don't understand. I think it's one of the simplest things that we could change. And for any athlete out there, try to replicate the time of competition because that's, you're replicating all those conditions. Conor McGregor, the mixed martial artist who probably everybody has heard of, um, is no relation to me, by the way, and I don't get any money for publicizing him. But that's one of the things he does. He spends a lot of time in bed, but he also trains at night. He's famous for training from like 10 10 p.m., 11 p.m. till 2 in the morning. Mm. Because if he's on a main card, his fight mightn't be till 12 o'clock at night, 1 o'clock at night. And he's making a lot of money. Yeah. Right? So he's adapting himself to that schedule. So I think that's something that people could do. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. If you, and, um, if you can prioritise it around that. So a, a lot of people have to work around uh, school, work, um, family commitments and that sort of thing so if you can prioritise training at the times that you need to be performing at your best for competition and getting enough sleep then yeah that's yeah. the best thing to do Yeah, and it's not easy it's not easy to know which is the best time or you know so it's hard um, and I appreciate it's difficult and I, I appreciate for coaches as well or leaders in industry they're getting hammered from all angles about budgets athletes human resources issues people crying I'm sick I don't want to do this I lost that competition I've got to get in here I've got to do this it's, it's a tough job for these coaches as well and managers so I appreciate the complexity yeah, so definitely. but if we can maximise the cognitive performance by getting enough sleep maybe we can deal with those pr- problems a bit easier <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so Georgia um, after your when you're scheduled or when what's your goal to finish the PhD when do you want to have a finish by um my three years is up in April 
2018. Okay. Um, and I would really like to be finished by then. Um, so, uh, but it depends on when I run my last study, which is a jet lag study, and hopefully that will be done by the end of the year. Um, and if so, I think I'm on track to finish then. So, fingers crossed. Perfect. And so, what do you think you'll do after your PhD? How, what do you feel like you want to do at the moment? Because this, this will change, maybe yeah. on a daily basis. But today, how do you feel? What would you like to do at the end That's of your PhD? Question. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I really want to continue research yeah. and I really want to continue working with athletes in elite populations um, so anything I can do that continues both of those things I'll be looking to do so yeah but um, yeah that is the question <laughs> that's the question but I presume from talking to you and knowing you you probably want to do more of the kind of practical applied stuff to what I call the pracademic work yeah yeah definitely. yeah, yeah. yeah. So you want to do a bit of the, bit of the theoretical stuff and the, and the studies, but you want to see how it works in the real world. Yeah, definitely. And really um, interested in cognitive performance, uh, physical performance, and how it applies in the real world as well. So, yeah. yeah, that's great. I think we need more of that, especially in, in, in sports industries and even like in sort of high-risk industry as well, because we do these great laboratory studies, but now how do we translate those into, into real life and how do they work? So I think that's great. We need more people doing this. Georgia, before we finish up, what's your number one sleep tip that you would give to people? Not just athletes, but everybody. What's the number one sleep do? Um, it's maybe two in one, but I would say prioritizing your sleep and also prioritizing a sleep routine. So if you can um, go to bed and get up at the same time of day each day and prioritize getting enough time in bed, um, that's going to put you in really good stead to be able to sleep at the right times and sleep well at the right times and um, and function well throughout the day so so plan for sleep like you do for anything else yeah, yeah definitely yeah. Yeah. and what would be, would be your sleep don't don't do this um, if there's one thing you don't do or shouldn't do or try to minimise what would it be I think um, using substances so alcohol um caffeine close to bed um, any kind of stimulants and are going to mess with your sleep so uh, a lot of people think alcohol can help you fall asleep and um, potentially it does though there's not actually much evidence that it does but once you are asleep you have a, a more re restless and um, fragmented sleep so it's not helping in any way so avoiding alcohol before bed avoiding caffeine before bed so you can fall asleep um, limiting the use of sleep medication and that sort of thing so I would say um, routine before bed and routine bedtime and wake time are going to help you get better sleep than using um, yeah. any substances like that. Yeah. Uh, George has just, just done some great reverse engineering into episode three where we spoke to Mark Keenan who had a problem with alcohol, was overweight and um, Mark gave up alcohol but also his sleep improved because he was drinking so much before bed but Mark lost 20 kilos and went from running nothing to he ran his first ultramarathon a few weeks ago. And now we'll run his next ultramarathon next week. So um, great, great reverse engineering there to Mark, Mark's episode. Because I know you haven't listened to that because I haven't yeah, released yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> but by the time yours come out, that'll be out as well. Great. So that's great, Georgia. Thanks very much for uh, coming on today. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of the conference here at Ayers Rock. And um, we got another day and a little bit left. We're going to be having dinner under the stars tonight at Ayers Rock, which sounds great. 
and it will be great but it's going to be about six degrees so um hopefully we won't freeze yeah. uh, here <laughs> so georgia if people want to follow you um are you on social media um how can they kind of hear about your research get in touch with you if they got some questions what, what would be a good way to do that um so my email address is uh, georgia.romain r-o-m-y-n at ozsport.gov.au um, I'm also on LinkedIn, ResearchGate, Twitter, under my name, Georgia Romain. So. Okay, and that's Ozsport, A-U-S, not O-Z, like Oz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A-U-S-P-O-R-T. And we'll put those in the show notes as well, links that people can access those as well. We're going to wrap it up here because the, the, the crazy poster crew are back, rattling posters. It's like one of those, um, if you ever look up on YouTube, sound effects in BBC in the 1960s, where there's a guy shaking boards, making noises like thunder and lightning, it's like that. So um, we're going to wrap it up. Once again, Georgia, thanks very much. Great conversation. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. That was Georgia Roman from the AIS and CQU. Once again, thanks to Georgia for coming onto the podcast. Very interesting chat and uh, a couple of things in there, I think, for everybody to take away. In the next podcast, I'm going to be doing a few listener q and I'm going to be talking about some emerging research and some of the interesting presentations that I was lucky enough to attend over the last few weeks. Um, so I'm hoping to get that podcast out in the next few weeks, um, probably before the end of August. Don't forget to head over to sleepforperformance.com.au. We're on Twitter and on Facebook. And as always, if you have any feedback or any suggestions, please send them through to me. All the information is in the show notes. Until next time, sleep well.